Welcome to the Spiral Inquiry Podcast, where we explore the foundations of science, faith, and philosophy. There are strange things going on in the world of mathematics, computer science, physics, and consciousness. In 2020, the Foundational Questions Institute essay contest was looking for answers to the puzzles of undecidability, uncomputability, and unpredictability. Join me as we walk into these mysteries in my essay, The Door That Has No Key. From the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, circa 1120 AD. There was the door to which I found no key. There was the veil through which I might not see. Some little talk a while of me and thee there was, and then no more of thee and me. FQXI has posed a set of interesting and open-ended questions about the limits of knowledge. What can we prove, compute, and predict? Are there real consequences for physics of undecidability and non-computability? Are there implications for our understanding of the relationship between agency, intelligence, mind, and the physical world? These are challenging questions that probe deeply into the fields of epistemology, ontology, and metaphysics, topics that philosophers and theologians have struggled with for thousands of years. In the early 20th century, some scientists and philosophers felt that the key questions had been resolved. A.A. Mickelson claimed in 1903 that, quote, the more important fundamental laws and facts in physical science have all been discovered. Ludwig Wittgenstein, a founder of logical positivism, reportedly believed that his Tractatus, published in 1921, had resolved all philosophical problems. As the contest guidelines note, quote, it was possible to imagine that a sufficiently advanced intellect could mathematically prove everything that was true and predict anything before it happens. That hubristic optimism was shattered in subsequent decades by the discoveries in relativity and quantum physics, the proofs of Gödel and Turing, and the findings in chaos and complexity theory. The advances in empirical science and mathematics in the last hundred years have probed frontiers that could not have been imagined in prior centuries. These new findings give us a radically different vantage point for the inquiry into our understanding of the world. Yet these findings confound as much as they enlightened. It is a distinct challenge to make sense of it. In this essay, I will address that challenge by exploring features that the physical world and mathematics share with consciousness, self-reference, entanglement, and purposeful agency are key features of autonoetic, self-knowing consciousness. They are also found in physical and mathematical systems. They are manifest at the limits of knowledge FQXI is exploring. These autonoetic features may serve as gatekeepers, limiting our understanding of the world we live in. But they also make living in this world so marvelously interesting and beautiful. 
Where do we start? I suggest we start with a presumption that the world exhibits specific regularities and that these regularities are reliable, consistent, and enduring. David Hume pointed out in 1739 that we cannot, quote, prove this resemblance of the past to the future, since all these arguments are founded on the supposition of that resemblance. But this epistemological skepticism is not the kind of unpredictability that FQXI is concerned about, so let's put it aside. We will assume that we can depend on the regularities we observe in the physical world to be a reliable basis for predicting the future. At the same time, we do best when we recognize the value of a healthy skepticism. Believing that the world is understandable is not the same as believing that we understand it. I'd also like to add three other presumptions for purposes of discussion. Many of you will recognize these as features of the three worlds of Roger Penrose, which he articulated in The Road to Reality in 2005. These three worlds are the physical world, the mental world, and the mathematical world. Penrose pointed out that these three worlds are related in particular ways and that their relationships hold three mysteries. One, why do mathematical laws apply to the physical world? Two, how does the physical world give rise to conscious minds? And three, how can those minds perceive mathematical truth? This three-part model of the whole makes intuitive sense, but I'm not suggesting a metaphysical commitment to the three worlds. It is simply a helpful model. As Penrose himself has said, quote, there may be a sense in which the three worlds are not separate at all, but merely reflect individually aspects of a deeper truth about the world as a whole, of which we have little conception at the present time. The first presumption is that the physical world is presumably real. However, when we speak of models, theories, or laws about the physical world, we need to remember that these are mental constructs intended, intended to help us understand or predict the behavior of the physical world. A law of science does not tell the physical world what to do. It is simply a helpful description of its behavior. The second is to assume that the human mind is real and not simply epiphenomenal to physical states. While the mind arises from the physical world, it is helpful to be able to speak about internal mental states and cognition, as well as subject perceptions or qualia, as if they were distinct from physical states and processes. By doing so, we set aside, for the moment, any arguments about physicalism or spiritualism. Finally, the third is to presume that mathematics has a reality of its own, separate and distinct from the physical world and from the human mind. Mathematical statements can be imagined in the human mind, but the truth of a mathematical statement is a matter of proof, not judgment or sense perception. It appears to be outside of the physical and the mental worlds. As for the relationship of math mathematics to the physical world, 
Eugene Wigner noted in 1960 that mathematics is, quote, unreasonably effective in the natural sciences, a wonderful gift we neither understand nor deserve. That relationship was the topic of the 2015 FQXI essay contest. The following sections will maintain the distinction between physical, mental, and mathematical worlds, but the conclusion will seek to bring the three parts back together again in a comprehensive whole. The challenges. The FQXI contest description identified a litany of issues in physics, mathematics, and computing that challenge our ability to understand the world. These include decidability, computability, predictability, measurability, and related capabilities. The contest guidelines highlighted, quote, Gödel's undecidability results, the incompleteness theorems, Turing's proof of non-computable values, the formulation of quantum theory, chaos, and other developments. And it noted that there are, quote, rigorous arguments limiting what we can prove, compute, and predict. While it is impossible to provide details on these challenges in a short essay, it is important to review the relevant topics. I offer a brief synopsis of the key challenges below. I will group them according to whether they involve predominantly our understanding of the physical world, our understanding of the mathematical world, or our understanding of the mental world. One of the constraints physicists must confront is Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. This recognizes that one can detect precisely the position of a particle or its momentum, but not both since making the measurement of momentum changes the position and vice versa. This seems like a simple matter, but when uncertainty is extrapolated into the realm of quantum physics, the implications become more profound. The potential states of quantum objects are characterized as probability amplitudes. Certainty for the measurement of specific physical quantities is no longer possible. At the smallest scale, time and space are quantized. The nature of space, smaller than Planck space, and time, shorter than Planck time, becomes undefined with infinite probability amplitudes, a condition some refer to as quantum foam. The complementarity principle of Niels Bohr affirms the central paradoxes of wave-particle duality, quantum superposition, and entanglement of paired particles. For example, two paired particles are created and move in different directions, and their properties, such as spin, remain correlated. Until one of the particles is measured, the spin is indeterminate. When one of the particles is measured and the spin is determined, the other particle, no matter how far away, will exhibit the correlated spin, if and when measured. It is as if the first particle to be measured chooses and the other particle obeys instantaneously in what Einstein labeled spooky action at a distance. Various explanations have been offered from hidden variables to pilot waves to faster than light messenger particles to non-local coordination or retrocausality. All attempts to resolve the paradoxical empirical results of indeterminacy in quantum physics have so far failed. We're left at the ground level with a curious fact that there is, quote, no fact of the matter until the matter is measured. 
The flap of a butterfly's wings can alter the course of a storm a thousand miles away. This trope is commonly used to describe a basic finding in chaos theory. In dynamic systems, small changes in initial conditions can result in widely diverging outcomes. This makes physical predictions very difficult, and the required model computations quickly become impractical. But deeper problems have also now been explored in the mathematics of complexity. Some mathematical models, such as the recursively defined logistic map, are fundamentally non-predictable. Rudy Rucker provides the analogy that a physical phenomenon is a kind of computation. Most physical systems are irreducible complex computations. There is no way to predict the future states of such systems without actually doing the computation. In open dynamic systems where energy is in flux, stable structures tend to emerge in the otherwise chaotic flow by dissipating energy and minimizing local entropy. The result is a stable configuration referred to as an attractor state. Attractor states exhibit novel adaptive behaviors at the system level that cannot be explained by reference to the behaviors of the component units. For example, termites exhibit rudimentary behavioral responses to environmental conditions and can hardly be considered intelligent. Yet a colony of termites is capable of remarkable engineering including construction of elegant, highly functional mounds providing precise control of temperature and humidity and even the cultivation of fungus. The whole of the system of termites is far greater than the sum of the individual termite behaviors. Emergent processes raise uncomfortable questions about causality and teleology. What causes the emergent order? How does intelligence emerge from the behaviors of unintelligent components? Two of the most important theoretical developments in the world of mathematics in the past century can be attributed to Alan Turing and Kurt Gödel. Alan Turing proved the feasibility of a universal computing machine by which mathematical and logical statements can be coded in machine language and computed, if the statements are computable, through machine algorithms. Such algorithmic creations are now ubiquitous. Turing also proved in 1936 that it was impossible to construct an algorithm to determine whether any given algorithm would provide an output in a finite amount of time. Among the implications of this halting problem, as it is called, is the fact that there is no algorithm that can decide whether any given statement about natural numbers is true or false. Turing's proof can be demonstrated simply by hypothesizing two algorithms. One is a halt algorithm that will correctly output yes if an algorithm that it examines will halt in a finite amount of time. The second, which could be called loop, goes into an infinite loop if halt returns yes. Hypothetical halt is unable to provide an answer when applied to loop. If halt returns yes, then loop no longer halts. And if halt returns no, then loop halts. This contradiction proves that halt cannot exist. The halting problem is one of many examples of undecidability. In 1931, Kurt Gödel proved the two incompleteness theorems. 
the first states that in a consistent logical system of sufficient complexity to express arithmetic, there are true propositions that cannot be proved. The second states that such a system cannot prove its own consistency. Effectively, you can require a logical system to be consistent, i.e. no contradictions, or complete, i.e. able to prove all true statements, but not both. Gödel constructed his proof by using a particular category of logical statements that refer to themselves and then constructing a contradiction. This is the same process of proof by contradiction as Turing's proof of the halting problem. The sentence, quote, this statement is false, provides a simple demonstration of how such a proof works. It is grammatically correct, but self-contradictory. It cannot be either true or false. Gödel's conclusions apply to every branch of mathematics, including set theory and arithmetic. By extension, it applies to any system of rational thought that presumes to be logically consistent. If that system is self-referential and consistent, then it is incomplete. The difficulties of computability and completeness identified in the fields of logic and computation are directly related to each other, as others have shown, and to challenges in set theory, complexity, and fractals, as well as the study of infinity. The common thread to all these difficulties resides in the self-contradictions that arise when testing the limits of mathematical reasoning and its recursive features. The relevance of the mental world to the physical world manifests in what is known as the observer problem. Given quantum indeterminacy, it is only when a researcher makes an observation that a fact, such as spin, is ascertained. Prior to the observation, the spin was in an indeterminate state. The observer is an integral part of the quantum event. The act of observation changes the system, and the observer cannot be untangled from the event. This is the observer problem, and it suggests that there would be no physical facts if there were no observer. Some speculate that the purpose of the universe has been to create the consciousness that observes it. Others speculate that consciousness must be universal and exist in some form prior to physics. Others suggest that there is no observer problem, that observed quantum events are not facts. What occurs physically upon an observation is that the universe splits into alternate trajectories. But the most serious questions about the mental world relate to the nature of consciousness. The philosopher and cognitive scientist David Chalmers fueled long-standing controversies about the nature of consciousness by naming the, quote, hard problem of consciousness as the difficulty of explaining phenomenal experience, i.e. the existence of qualia. He argued that the easier problem was to explain the non-subjective functions of attention and cognition, these could be addressed with scientific methodologies in terms of computational or neural mechanisms. He argued that the hard problem requires a non-reductive approach and that we need to view consciousness as fundamental and not derived from something simpler. Quote, we know that a theory of consciousness requires the addition of something fundamental to our ontology 
as everything in physical theory is compatible with the absence of consciousness. But while there are many who disagree with Chalmers, the fundamental nature of consciousness and its relationship to the physical world has yet to be resolved. Framing the issue from the Rubaiyat. There was the door to which I found no key. There was the veil through which I might not see. Some little talk a while of me and thee there was, and then no more of thee and me. The epigraph for this essay above is the 32nd quatrain from the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, translated by Fitzgerald. Khayyam was a mathematician, philosopher, and poet from the 12th century. There remains considerable controversy over his identity and the accuracy of his translations. The philosophy of the Rubaiyat is skeptical, and the verses are alternately romantic and fatalistic with more than a touch of mysticism and humor. There was the door to which I found no key is the first line of the poem, and it's one way to describe the constraints in the mathematical realm. As proven by Turing, Gödel, and others, we are unable to discern whether something is true, computable, or conceivable. These constraints are features of all logical systems sophisticated enough to construct self-referencing statements. This includes logic, arithmetic, and set theory, as well as any system of symbols or thoughts intended to be consistent. Among the universe of such systems, we must include computer algorithms, language, rational cognition, and comprehensive theories about the world. The second line, there was the veil through which I might not see, corresponds to the uncertainty, indeterminacy, and complexity we confront in the physical world, which limits our ability to know precisely the state of the world and its future. Our notion of a perfectly de deterministic world has been shown by these limits to be an illusion. Reductionism, the idea that we can understand the whole on the basis of the particulars, is fundamentally inadequate to understanding the world. This is evident in the part-whole relationship in emergent systems. Termites build mounds, and the emergent intelligent properties of the mound benefit the termites. The relationship between system and components is reciprocal. Paired particles or wave-particle duality are also part-whole relationships. Both sides of the duality maintain a linked reciprocity. Uncertainty similarly involves relationships in systems that cannot be subdivided into discrete parts without losing something in the process. The whole system is not simply the sum of the parts as the parts are all connected to each other and to the system. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. The third line of the poem is some little talk a while of me and thee there was. This brings us to the mind. We experience other minds, beginning with the ones that feed us, care for us, and teach us language. We learn to talk. We also experience the physical world, and we construct models based on observation and the innate structures in our own minds to explain it. The physical world generates qualia in our minds, but it also responds to actions we take in response to those qualia. This is a give-and-take relationship between mind and world, a kind of talk through which we learn to build better models. 
Our minds also learn to intuit mathematical truth through abstract cognition, grounded initially in the perception of the physical time and space. We are able to interrogate the abstract mathematical world. And finally, our mind also constructs a model of itself. I perceive myself as a physically embodied being with a subjective perception of a continuous identity. Three key features of this self-identity are the duality and interconnections between self and other, the ability to self-reflect, and the perception of my agency in responding to the world with purpose. These features of consciousness provide a window on the challenges discussed above. Chalmers focused on the distinction between the subjective aspect of consciousness, qualia, and the functional aspect, attention and cognition. But there may be a more useful distinction between levels of consciousness. At a rudimentary level, an entity may be aware of a stimulus and may make a response, but have no capacity to report or reflect on the event. This is an unknowing or anoetic level of consciousness. An entity may also be able to perceive a stimulus and execute a response, being aware of the process and capable of remembering and reporting the event. This would be a knowing or noetic consciousness. There is a third level of consciousness, the level at which the entity is not only, only observing the event, but is also observing itself, aware of its own existence and its role as an active agent. This level of consciousness is autonoetic. Autonoetic consciousness involves the capacity to observe oneself and to recognize the distinction between self and others. We can perceive these distinctions and our interactions with those other things, including fellow humans, the physical world, and mathematical abstractions. Through these interactions, the autonoetic conscious self emerges as a fully aware entity with the capacity to construct detailed, sophisticated models of the physical world and to imagine mathematical abstractions in great depth. We are also able to reflect on such questions as who am I and what am I feeling? Autonoetic consciousness demonstrates a number of features. The first is that it is both dualistic and entangled. We recognize that our mind is distinct and separate from other minds and from the physical world. Yet without that world and those other minds, our mind could not have arisen and would not exist. The autonoetic self is intimately entangled with the physical world. In addition, autonoetic consciousness exhibits a sense of agency. We perceive that we have the capacity to shape our actions in the physical world in order to achieve a conscious goal. We build models and tell stories to help navigate the complexities of living in the world. Among those stories are the ones that embody our deepest desires and aspirations. Those aspirations carry with them a sense of purpose. The pursuit of that purpose gives meaning to the autonoetic self. Finally, the autonoetic self is introspective. 
we are aware of our own minds and our relationships with other minds and the physical world. We can reflect on our goals and our efforts to achieve them. The autonoetic self acts in the world and also observes itself acting in the world. It is also capable of observing itself, observing itself acting in the world. This recursion invokes the lessons we learn from the world of mathematics. The recursive capacity of the mind casts a shadow over rational cognition because it is subject to the provisions of the incompleteness theorems. Autonoetic reasoning is at its best, can be consistent but never complete. Conclusion. The final verse of the poem states, quote, and then no more of thee and me. What can we say now about our understanding of the system of the three worlds, the physical, the mathematical, and the mental? Each appears to be distinct from the other two, yet they are fundamentally interconnected and behave as a whole. The reality we are seeking to understand includes all three. My speculation, drawing on the findings above, is this. The triune world is entangled, purposeful, and self-referential. It is a mirror of the mind and vice versa. It is autonoetic. Our mental understanding of the world is correspondingly circumscribed by the limitations of entanglement, agency, and self-reference. Self-reference leads inevitably to the limit of incompleteness. Entanglement implies that the whole cannot be understood solely through an understanding of its parts. Additionally, since we are ourselves entangled in the world, we can never truly observe the whole. Agency implies that consciousness can purposefully direct physical causal trajectories towards specific goals. This is clearly something we perceive to be true of human minds. Whether there is also an unobserved universal autonoetic consciousness, we may never know. But the unexplained phenomenon of cosmic fine-tuning, quantum indeterminacy, the observer problem, and emergence, including biological evolution, would suggest that this could be the case. One could argue that such a speculation might survive Occam's razor better than an infinite multiverse. That there are limits to our understanding about the world, including its physical, mathematical, or mental components, does not mean that our efforts to better understand it is fruitless. Rather, I suggest that these efforts will continue to be valuable and productive effectively forever. There's no end point to our quest for knowledge, and that quest will continue to provide purpose and meaning to all those who choose to pursue it. There are, however, hard limits. Key questions about life, about origins, about math and physics, and about consciousness will remain undecidable, incomplete, and uncertain. Exploring and testing these limits will continue to be a major frontier of human understanding, frustrating as it may be. Understanding the contours of this frontier is a major theoretical challenge for the 21st century and beyond. I recommend that we embrace the idea that these limits are not flaws in the system, they are features. The limits of incompleteness, entanglement, and agency enable complexity, evolution, and free will. They make the world and life interesting. They provide the opportunity for beauty, awe, 
joy, and inspiration. At the heart of this system is the most remarkable and most important feature without which nothing else would matter, autonoetic consciousness. Such consciousness is the enabler of human understanding and of our capacity to act as agents. From this, all human aspirations find expression and our lives are given meaning. The price for autonoetic consciousness is a limitation in our knowledge. But perhaps that limitation is also a gift. If we knew or could know all things, and if the future were simply a deterministic output of past and present states, then human life might seem more like a prison than a joyful adventure. As I said in a previous essay, quote, the universe has awakened to itself. Evidence of this awakening and self-awareness can be found in the abstract forms of mathematics as well as the manifestations of complexity, emergence, and quantum theory in the physical world. At the pinnacle of this awakening is our human consciousness. Thanks for listening to the Spiral Inquiry Podcast. I'm your host, George Gans. Be sure to subscribe for more podcasts, and please visit spiralinquiry.org to explore the intersection of science, faith, and philosophy, and to contribute your own ideas to the conversation.